This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train. Episode 327, submission number 2378, Hot Potato. Hot Potato aired on NBC Daytime from January 23rd, 1984 to June 29th, 1984 for a total of 165 is what I see. 165 episodes. And now we'll do it as Johnny Olson. Hot Potato aired on the NBC television network from January 23rd of 1984 to June 29th of 1984 for not 115 episodes, but 165 episodes. Holy <laughs> What a sh- job of entertaining me, guys. <laughs> Here are our champions. They're three of a kind. I'm Tim Miller. And I'm Tim Stamper. And I'm Glenn Fisher. And we are the Keepers. <laughs> and they're here to play Hot Potato. And here to toss the hot potato, our host, Bill Cullen. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> Hello there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And welcome to... I don't know whether you can see it or not, the, the place the potato smokes, you see. I wish you would break that habit. Anyway, that's enough of that. Welcome to Hot Potato. We're very happy you joined us. It's always a pleasure. In late 1983, early 1984, NBC had a very decent lineup in daytime. Of course, there was the uh, anchors of the soap operas with Days of Our Lives, Another World, and Search for Tomorrow. But the game show block has started to come into its own by now as well. With Wheel of Fortune, and if I'm not mistaken, we're either into the first season of Scrabble or it's in development for a future release. It's in development for the summer, at least. No, Scrabble premiered like less than a month after the cancellation because remember, Chuck Woolery was on Mass Game Hollywood Squares promoting it. I think it premiered, I want to say, mid-July. It wasn't like a 4th of July thing. I thought it premiered late June. It did premiere in late June, and actually, it replaced Dreamhouse, which was canceled on the same day as Hot Potato. In the fall of 1983, the NBC schedule would have looked like this. At 10, you start with reruns of different strokes, followed by a respectable hour of game show programming in Sales of the Century and Wheel of Fortune. Then you'd have new entry Dreamhouse, followed by equally new entry Go!, then you'd have Search for Tomorrow, Days of Our Lives, Another World, and the Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. But Go did just that at the end of 1983, beginning of 1984. And in its place would be the last 
network program out of Jack Berry and Dan Enright called Hot Potato. Now, at this point in the career of Barry and Enright, they had an interesting development strategy. It was called Take Something That Was Popular and Copy It. Because in its bones, Hot Potato is basically a fixed version of Family Feud. And when I say fixed, I don't mean rigged. I mean fixed as in there are seven of everything. I mean fixed as in structured. Yes. We'll get into that briefly. So they developed Hot Potato. They had a show for the run-through. And the show, it worked on paper. But the host of the run-through reportedly was very bad. And nobody, not Barry, not Enright, and not NBC, could think of anybody who could replace that host at the last second. So, they called on one person. The one person that anybody who needed a game show host from the 50s to the 80s called. Hey, Johnny, who did they call? From Hot Potato, Bill Collins! And that may sound kind of weird, but according to an article from TV Guide of the 1980s, Bill Cullen did say, and I'm paraphrasing from Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, that he was chosen to host the show largely by default since the originally intended host had flopped during an early run-through of the game, and neither Barry and Enright nor NBC could think of anyone else to ask. He also noted that it had been a very common scenario in his career, hence why he had so many game show hosting gigs to his credit. Now, one question. Has it ever been revealed who the host of the run-through was? No, it has never been revealed who the host of the run-through was. Now, Jack Barry did host a run-through, according to game shows at Fandom, but it was largely a pitch film. Okay. So, Bill Cullen was tapped to toss the hot potato. So how does hot potato work? Well, you heard in the intro, two teams of three, each three of a kind. To start the game, Bill would ask a question that would have seven answers. It could be a trivia question. It could be a survey of seven it could be a listicle sort of issue. In order to win the round, you had to give seven correct answers or knock the other team out one player at a time. And here's how that worked. A player in control can either answer a question or challenge someone else from the other team. If they chose to answer and are correct, control stays with that team. If they are incorrect, they would go to a waiting bench that was backstage, and control would go to the other team. If a player was challenged by somebody on the other team, they would have to answer the question. If they were correct, their team gets control, and the person who challenged that player would 
go back to the penalty bench backstage. The game continues until seven correct answers were given, or until all three of a team are eliminated. In either case, whoever has a player left, or whoever gives the seventh correct answer, gets the point. It takes two points to win a game, and the chance to win an escalating jackpot that starts at $5,000 and goes up $5,000 for every try that is not successful. In the bonus round, you are given up to six comparisons, one at a time. You can play a comparison or pass one, but you can only pass once. After that, you would have to play the round out. For example, like, which is longest? The world's longest tapeworm or a Cadillac? If you're correct, you get $500. If you get five correct, you win the jackpot. And you can fail at any moment. And that's important because if you are wrong once, the game ends and you lose everything, except for the $1,000 that you won for winning the front game. In any event, you would return on the next game to face another team of challengers. And that's pretty much the game. I mean, it's about as simple as advanced calculus, isn't it? Each team had their own personal bank, if you will. So if a team let's say, went to the bonus round uh, for $25,000 and missed and then lost the next game, the new champs wouldn't go for $30,000. They go for $5,000. Correct. But hey, this is another show that was doomed by the uh, appearance of celebrities. Among other things. Well, the noontime slot didn't help at all. No. But also, oh my gosh, some of the celebrities they got on this. For a show that ran not even six months? Yeah, there's some names on here. I think the best place to start is in week five, they actually had a celebrity week in the middle of the civilian run. Yes, and have we discussed the three-of-a-kind theme yet? We glanced over it as part of the game mechanic, but that was essentially the draw of the format, is that these aren't just three random people. They're three of a kind. Like, for example, in the pilot that was put on YouTube by the one and only Wink Martindale, we had a team of Franciscan preachers against a team of teachers. And we have, like, various amazing three of a kind teams. We have mothers-to-be. We have clowns. We have accountants. We have circus performers. <laughs> We have, we have beekeepers. Beekeepers. Have beekeepers. And they have their bee suits on. And we have telegram singers. Telegram singers. Folks, yes, in 1984, there were still telegram singers. I am your singing telegram. There were even hypnotists. Hypnotists. But they had to play the game as fairly as everybody else. 
the three of a kind theme did not go into the celebrity era, though. No. No. Nope. Well, well, I'd say no. Even though they did have like teen weeks, uh, or eighteen week, I should say. But the first celebrity week was actually in the middle of the civilian run. In the fifth week, they're going to celebrities after not even a month. This is not a good sign. And this was All-American Sportsmen versus Miss Americas. And I know we have stuff to say about this. Oh, yes. Do we ever? Well, specifically about two people, maybe even more. On the Miss America side were Susan Perkins, Kylene Barker, Cheryl Pruitt, Elizabeth Warden, Debbie Sue Maffitt, and the current Miss America at the time, you may have heard of her, Vanessa Williams. I have thoughts. Okay, we'll get to the thoughts in a second. Let me get through the All-American Sportsman, because, again, you're going to have more thoughts when you hear some of these names. So on the All-American Sportsman side, you had Rick Barry, you had Ken Norton, Vince Faragamo, Steve Yeager, Kurt Thomas, and Wilt Chamberlain. I have more thoughts. I knew you would. So where would you like to start? First of all, applause for the choice in Miss Americas and All-American Sportsmen. Kudos to NBC and Barry Enron. That being said, I don't think anybody could see what would happen to Vanessa Williams down the line with what happens with Vanessa Williams down the line. Duh. And I'll tell you right now, it didn't affect her career one bit. No. Successful singer, successful actress, all around success. And we love her for it. And we love her to death for it. Yes. But we got to address the elf in the room here, guys. Yeah. If you listen to the end of the last episode, we played an In Living Color clip where we had the Hall of Women Wilt Chamberlain uh, carnally satisfied. Had fun with, yeah. And we got to say it out the gate. He had to have slept with at least three women in that Miss America's group. Are you kidding me? At least three. At least three. You know he got Vanessa Williams. Not Vanessa Williams. No. Well, like, that's the worst thing Vanessa Williams did when she was Miss America. She didn't do that when she was Miss America. She did it before she was Miss America, and we don't talk about it. Okay, do you want me to break the ice here? Do you want to hear a fun fact about Steve Yeager that I didn't realize until, like, two years ago? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. Well, when the pandemic happened and there was, like, no baseball, like, and all the sports networks were, like, rerunning old games, they reran, like... Roger Clemens' first 20 strikeout game against Seattle from 86. And Steve Yeager was on the Mariners at the time. And on the Chiron, they show Steve Yeager, the cousin of Colonel Chuck Yeager on the Nesson Chiron. So who knew? I didn't know that. Thank you, Nesson fun fact guy from 1986 who happened to put that on the Chiron for me to discover in 2020. So Steve Yeager also, another fact, 
was a co-MVP of the 1981 World Series. And guys, in our next entry, we're going to talk about another co-MVP from that 1981 World Series. If you can believe it, we'll talk about another one from that 81 series the Dodgers won against the Yankees. But Oh, wow. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, yeah. let's continue. Oh, an- another fun fact about Steve Yeager. Apparently, Vanessa Williams was not the only person to appear in an adult magazine on that stage. What? Steve Yeager posed semi-nude in Playgirl magazine in 1982. Oh, neat. Thank you, Toys R Us kid. <laughs> Look, Toys R Us kid, I, I have some questions, but I'm not going to judge you. Hey, Greg, quick question. Yeah. Who was the other MVP in the World Series? Pedro Guerrero and uh, Ron Say. So at least one of those two is going to come up in the next episode. So going back to the celebrities, now that was week five. And the next Celebrity Week wouldn't be until the show formally became Celebrity Hot Potato, which happened uh, April 23rd of 1984, week 14. That week we had as celebrities playing with one civilian in each side. Phyllis Diller, Emma Sams, Renee Enriquez, and Billy Huffsey. So you had a nice little mix uh, of, of stars there. I mean, Phyllis Diller, you know, she's Phyllis Diller. Emma Sams, what was she on at that point? Was She, she on... was on Dynasty at that point. Th- that's what I thought, Dynasty. Renee Enriquez would have been on the Hill Street Blues, and Billy Huffsey would have been on Fame. Yep. So a little bit of NBC getting their stars on shows. Of course. Oh, hold on. There's one thing that we didn't mention about the game. On episode 11, the February 6, 1984 episode, they introduced a new wrinkle to the game. And you know a show is in trouble if they start with the wrinkles early. This was only episode 11. But starting from that episode, any team that got all seven correct answers in a row without missing or challenging won the seven straight jackpot which started at $500 and grew by $500 for each match it was not won. So there was a chance to win a lot of money on this show. Well, there is even a chance to win money if you didn't win the match. Hold on. You're saying there was a chance to win money? A chance to win money? Okay, Jimmy Walker was not on uh, any of the celebrity shows. I know, Sorry. but I wish he was. Can you imagine? Money! So now uh, we're at celebrity week number two. The third week uh, with celebrities total, but in celebrity hot potato proper week two. Christian Alfonso, Beverly Garland, Artie Johnson, and Ron Masak. They recently departed Ron Masak. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Christian Alfonso was on... Falcon Crest at the time. She replaced Jamie Rose's character. They're the same character, but a new actress. Yeah, because obviously Jamie Rose went to Lady Blue and had her. Uh, yeah, and her uh, her piece. You know her piece. Mm-hmm. Yes, we know Greg. Uh, and Beverly Garland would have been on Scarecrow and Mrs. King at this point. Oh, yes. 
And we recently talked about her in Camp Wilder. And Artie Johnson was probably just goofing around and Ron Masak was pitching pickles. Well, for Artie Johnson, he had to wait another like eight or so years until his greatest work. And of course, the cult classic, Munchie. My gosh. Oh, yeah, yeah. As featured in the latest season of MSD3K, Munchie. Oh, my. Oh, let's just get to the, the next week. And this actually was daytime versus nighttime TV stars week. You had Anne Marie Martin, Leanne Hunley, and Marla Gibbs, and Jenny Lee Harrison, James Reynolds, and George Weiner. Anne Marie Martin in 1984 would be on Days of Our Lives as Gwen Davies. Leanne Hunley would be on another one of your stories, Days of Our Lives, as Anna Demera. Marla Gibbs, obviously, is on The Jeffersons. Jenny Lee Harrison would be on, um, at this point... Three's Company. Yeah, yeah. Three's, Three's Company, but isn't she on uh, Dallas at this point? Yeah, but that's all primetime show. And yes, she would be on Dallas at this point. Okay, yeah, she was on Dallas. Okay, But you know, Jenny Lee is not going to pass up a chance to do a game show. Oh, no, all. of course not. And we love her for it. Yes. Um, James Reynolds? What was he doing? Uh, James Reynolds would be on Days of Our Lives. Oh, so does. basically, Days of Our Lives versus all y'all. Yeah. And then what was George Weiner doing in 84? Uh, Spaceballs. No. <laughs> no, no, that's, that, no, that was 86. That, I'm yeah, sorry. 87. That's three, 87. That's three years away, yeah. He was Assistant District Attorney Bernstein on Hill Street Blues. I got a question, guys. You think anyone on the daytime roster called him chicken? What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? I'm laughing because uh, I understood that. <laughs> I have a better reference than uh, uh, that assistant uh, attorney. He was Murray Chase on Matt Houston. Yeah, Matt Houston. And actually, I think it's not this weekend, but next weekend, I think Decades is doing a weekend binge of Matt Houston. Ooh! Nice. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe if you can find it on Amazon, the complete series of Matt Houston's on DVD. Not sure if it's from, like, Mill Creek or VEI, but it's one of those companies. Oh, nice. Now, this was May 7th through 11th, so this was as Sweeps was started, so I totally get that. Oh, well, that explains this next set of celebrities, then, for Funny Men versus Funny Women Week. There's some funny men and women here. Elaine Joyce, Doris Roberts, Joanne Worley... Milton Burrow. Uncle Milty. Well, he would have still been under contract with NBC at this point, right? Oh, yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah, because didn't he sign like a 50-year contract in like 1950? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. And then James Coco and Tom Dreesen. Those are some funny men and funny women. That's a pretty stacked lineup there. This is an awfully good time to take a little commercial break. 
We'll be back in a few minutes with the remainder of Hot Potato. After these messages, we'll be right back. Yeah. There's the Elchiers. Carla's fighting for her man, but can she really please him? Just wait. And Bill goes for broke when he pushes an 80-year-old tap dancer to his limit. Uh-oh. About that comedy finish there, huh? Buffalo Bill. Then Ray blackmails the chief for Frank's return. It is a tape of you on the prostitute. Thursday. Be there. I love the crunchy wheat taste of Kellogg's mini wheats, but the frosting side agrees with the little kid in me. The whole grain shredded wheat side to me is quite superior. The light frosting pleases my girlish interior. Kellogg's mini wheat cereals. Whole grain shredded wheat for the adult in you, light frosting for the kid in you. For me, the manly side of mini wheats is fitting, but the frosting's good too, and I'm not kidding. I want more bits, more bits, more bits in my kibbles and bits, more bits, more bits in my kibbles and bits, more bits, more bits in my kibbles and bits, in my kibbles and bits. Introducing kibbles and bits and bits and bits. New crunchy bits, new chewy bits, more new and different kinds of taste than ever before. New kibbles and bits and bits and bits. New kibbles and bits and bits and bits. Now more bits in every bite. More bits. Freedent gum not only won't stick to your dental work, it helps clean in between the fresh in your bread while you chew. Freedent's the one that took the stick out of gum. Freedent's the one that took the stick out of gum. And puts the fresh in your bread. Freedent's the one. Fresh in your bread with non-stick Freedent. Now we get back to four celebrities and two civilian contestants uh, for the following week. We have Dorothy Lyman, obviously from Mama's Family, Jamie Farr, aftermatch at this point, and Brad Garrett, who would have just won Star Search at this point. Yes. And Michael Winslow, and we know where Michael Winslow's from. He is Police Academy. Oh, yeah. Not he's from Police Academy. He is Police Academy. Officer Larvell Jones. Now, hold on. With all due respect to Steve Gutenberg and Bubba Smith and David Graff, when most people think of Police Academy, they think Michael Winslow and those sound effects. This was the week I was born. <laughs> so... I can now rest comfortably knowing Tom Bray didn't have the 30 the day it was born and that Michael Winslow was on hot potato. But also, let us not remember that Brad Garrett will come up next year in future installment, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling as the voice of the Hulkster brother. You think that Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling advised anyone to have some pasta mania and those Hulk ruse of those? <laughs> I'm just thinking, not many people realize this, but Brad Garrett did a lot of things before everybody loves Raymond. Yeah, he did. Hey. Yeah. He was in that episode of Seinfeld. 
where uh like stole a car and it was like the episode with the bottle deposit. Remember the bottle deposit where Kramer and Newman try to get a bunch of bottles to Michigan so they could redeem them. Cause Michigan has the thing where if you recycle a can, you get a dime. Yep. Well, doesn't New York state do that now? No, it's a nickel. It's always oh, been it's a nickel. A nick- oh, oh, you're losing uh, half the money. Oh yeah. So that's why they did it. Cause in Michigan, they get five cents more. So they got all the bottles they could find and filled it up in Newman's mail truck. And then when they were trying to chase Brad Garrett, they had no choice but to throw the bottles out of the mail truck to stop him. Oh, it was heartbreaking. Oh, my. Okay, let's get back. We have another special week. It's Teen Week, Teen Guys versus Teen Girls. For the females, we had Kim Fields. These are some big names for teenagers. Kim Fields, obviously, facts of life at this point. Missy Gold, who would have been on Benson. And Dana Hill. And this would have been uh, right after the first National Lampoon movie? National Lampoon. Like, oh, she was in European. Yeah, she was oh, a she's a European. Okay, girl. so that's eighty-five. So okay, so it'd be a year away. But oh, hold on a second. I don't, do you know who her boyfriend was in National Lampoon's European Vacation? Oh, she, oh, me, me, pick me, pick Chico, me. Pick do you me. want to answer this? Billy Zabka. Yes, he was Jack- Johnny Lawrence on Cobra Kai. He was Jack in European Vacation. Another underrated cinematic masterpiece. Hey, Dad, look. Bedpans. <laughs> uh, fun fact, Dana Hill also voiced Max on Goop Troop. Yes. Well, she also did voices for uh, Duckman. And, and this, I think it was just like the first season because didn't she pass away in like 94? Yeah. yeah, she did. Yeah. Wow. Oh, hey, guys. We have three males on this team. Let's talk about them because two of them have done some pretty big things. Peter Billingsley. Oh, yeah. And this would literally be a few months after a Christmas story. But, of course, this also would have been right at the end of uh, Real People's Run. Yeah. But also, as we mentioned in the 1983 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, when he sung If I Could Talk to the Animals on a Float, he was Messy Marvin. Remember Messy Marvin? I remember, I remember Messy Marvin. Marvin. Yeah. And, and also, if you haven't seen uh, A Christmas Story Christmas, starts out slow, real good the uh, second half to two-thirds of the movie. Go watch it. And then you had Matthew Leberto and Philip McKeon. And this would have been the last season of Alice? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 84, yeah. And or Matthew... if not, 85 was the last season. But No, I'm pretty sure it was 84. Okay. Right? I'll look it up, but I'm pretty sure 84 was the last season. Yeah, and Matthew Laberto would have been known as Albert Ingalls on Little House, but around this time, he would be finishing up 18 episodes of future entry WizKids. Or it was the year before. I think WizKids was 82, 83. No, WizKids was 83, 84. Oh, okay. I didn't realize. Yo, we got to put that on the schedule. 
That's a show we've been wanting to talk about for a long Putting time. Putting it on the schedule. Okay, good. Okay, and also, Alice did last until March of 85. I, I thought knew- it was going in 84. Wow. Because yeah. I think I remember seeing like a promo for the last episode from 85. So, Wow, okay. That's the last week with six celebrities. Uh, the rest of the run, there is a civilian in each team. And we go to the fourth of the last week when we've got Mindy Cohn, Martha Smith, Jim J. Bullock, and Brian Mitchell. And I think we know where at least three of those people were at this point, if not four. Uh, Brian Mitchell, I think, was gathering vegetables from his garden to wear on Match Game Hollywood Squares Hour. <laughs> yeah, he borrowed from Peter Davidson. But, of course, Trapper John M.D. for uh, Brian. Right. No. Jim J. would have been too close for comfort. Yep. This would be on syndication now at this point. Yep. Mindy Cohn would be on back. In, in early, wait, wait, wait. In early 84, it was syndicated? Well, remember they had the theme week on Match Game Hollywood Squares? Okay, makes sense. I, I, I thought it lasted longer before it went to syndication, but per point. But Mindy Cohn, we all know where Mindy Cohn came from. Mm-hmm. And Martha Smith. <laughs> Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I was wondering why Chico was cackling. Oh, because she was Playmate of the Month in July of 73. Do you think there's a chance that Wilt Chamberlain got with her? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So you're saying there's a shot. Okay. Third to last week, Marsha Wallace, Nipsey Russell, Christopher Durham, and Brad Garrett again. Second to last week, Cynthia Gibb, Roxy Roker, Larry Minetti, and Michael Winslow. Of course, at this point, Michael Winslow is really pushing Police Academy because it's hitting theaters really, really soon. It's going to be the movie of 1984. Don't believe what people say about Beverly Hills Cop or Ghostbusters. No. The movie to watch in 1984 is Police Academy. And, of course, it had Kim Cattrall, Chico. I was just about to say, you know that movie made Kim Cattrall's career, right? It did, and that's why she got Mannequin and Sex in the City and How I Met Your Father from it. And Big Trouble in Little China. Are we forgetting Big Trouble oh, in yeah, Little I China? Oh, yeah, I forgot. Big Trouble in Little China, one of John Carpenter's best. Yes. And then you have the final week with Lainey Kazan, Jan Murray, Anson Williams, and R.D. Johnson. And at this point, you can pretty much see the writing on the wall as everybody was just throwing caution to the wind. Throwing caution to the wind? That's a, there was no there was no throwing caution to the wind. At this point, uh, with this being the final week, they knew they were gone. I remember this from when I was a kid. You had Jan Murray and Artie Johnson giving no poops at all about this. They were acting so friggin' goofy. They they were making themselves laugh more than anybody else at this point. And Bill Cullen was just trying to keep them in line. It was, I'm going to find some footage. I'm going to put at least an open in here or maybe some other stuff. They were really, really goofy. Just for you guys, the finale is on uh, YouTube. These two teams are about to play against each other. Hi, I'm Ficus Benjamina. 
Franklin. Hi, I'm Anson Williams, and we are the champions! Now, let's meet their opponents. Hi, I'm Jan Murray, but I wish I was Bill Cullen. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rod Garrett. I'm Lainey Kazan, and we are the, the Challengers! Yeah. And we're here to play Celebrity Hot Potato! And here's our host, Bill Cullen! Thank you all! Thank you. Arnie Johnson, you're not like as Benjamina. What are you saying? And Jan Murray, you're not Bill Cullen. And you can't even wish to be Bill Cullen at this point. Yeah, they don't care. Not one iota. No. They're here for the laughs. Totally off the rails. Yeah, that's when you could tell that, yeah, the show is pretty much on its last legs. And sure enough, on June 29th, it died a very quiet death to be replaced with reruns of different strokes. For a few weeks, at least, because Super Password would premiere in the month of July. So the reruns did not last all that long, probably just a little stopgap until Super Password was ready. But this, it did get some airtime back in the 80s, not necessarily in the 90s. I don't remember it being on in the 90s. Uh, but it did have uh, a little run in the 2000s. In the 80s, it definitely showed up on CBN reruns and maybe even USA reruns. I know it was on CBN for sure. I remember this when it was on USA as a little kid because this would air right after Pressure Luck. Yeah, this would be like, it would be like a, it's like the two hours of the USA Network game show block that seemingly lasted forever were Press Your Luck, Hot Potato, Scrabble, and Sale of the Century. Well, Hot Potato went till 90, I believe, on the USA block. But Hot Potato did make an appearance on GSN, or Game Show Network, about 2001. I remember it aired once a day, and it aired at 8.30 in the morning. And thankfully for me, I didn't work until second shift at that point, so... I could watch Hot Potato in the morning. Wish I would have recorded some of them. Oh, well. And also before that, GSN aired Hot Potato around 1997 to 1998 as filler programming during the period when the channel lost the Goodson Todman Library. But yeah, it's gotten airplay over the last, what, 38 years since it was canceled? And as Chico said earlier, it does have a place in history, kind of, sort of, being the last Barry and Enright daytime show. Not only that, it was also the last network show hosted by Bill Cullen, and also the last show before Jack Barry's death. And some fun facts about this show, the highest jackpot ever won was $20,000, and that was won by... A group of waitresses. Hold on, guys. You said it was a group of waitresses? That was the highest jackpot ever won. Oh. Yes. Okay, but I got a question. Do you think Wilt Chamberlain got with any of those three waitresses? No! Oh, that's I... one hell of a tip. Good night, everybody. 
I know where you were trying to steer the conversation. And yes, there was a team who won $40,000. There was a team of accountants, Pam Noggle, Mike McHugh, and Allison Dunn. But if memory serves, they did not win the highest jackpot. And of course, this being a Barry and Enright show on NBC, players stayed until they lost. Because they were giving away money hand over fist and they weren't getting the ratings, they had to make some changes for the celebrity format. And so instead of the escalating jackpot, if you won the bonus round, you got a flat $5,000. These celebrities are funny, but they do not come cheap. And Family Feud was kicking their asses. And again, it doesn't help that it aired at noon. Didn't help go, didn't help this show. Nope. Didn't hurt Super Password for some reason, though. Huh. Yeah, what's up with that? Hey, Burt Convy has that power. Uh, oh, wait, I have an answer for that. Oh, I have okay. an answer for that. Okay, what is it? Okay. Family Feud only aired at noon until October. Super Password launched in late September. Oh, I thought it launched in July. Wow. So uh, Different Strokes reruns actually aired for a good three months at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Different Strokes reruns replaced this after Hot Potato was canceled. Yep. And Super Password was going up against Ryan's Hope and whatever CBS was airing at noon, which would be local programming, probably the afternoon news. Well, do we have anything else to add about Hot Potato? They tried. They tried. It's another Barry Enright show that, well, for lack of a better word, is derivative. It's just another kind of sort of ripoff of an existing much better format. But, oh, you got to give credit to that show. That smoking sign. That whole set was something else. Oh, that set was glorious. The, the, the set was amazing. And even the computer technology in 1984 well, it was something to behold. It's like every one of these screens was like run off a Commodore Amiga or something. Or Commodore 64, because that would Yeah, I think it was Commodore 64, yeah. Yeah. But then you also had those sliding penalty boxes or whatever you want to call it. Oh, yes! Those sliding penalty boxes when someone missed an answer. Oh, the, the whole thing, if they actually had a decent game... And not at noon, maybe this could have lasted a little while. The set by itself, the set and the music, oh my gosh. Classic. Vintage. That Hal Heidi music, that was something else. And I have memories of this as a real little kid on the USA Network block with Pressure Luck. And this show stuck with me from when I was like four years old. And yeah, this is like one of the first game show memories I ever had as a kid, watching this. Uh, interestingly enough, we talked about the uh, Hal Heidi music. It was a bit of a rip off of the music that they used in the pilot, which was actually the sort of instrumental beds from two popular songs. The opening was an instrumental bed from Stop, Look, and Listen by Donna Summer. And the closing was an instrumental bed from a slightly more successful song. 
You Make Me Feel Mighty Real by Sylvester. And if you listen back to those songs, you could kind of hear, yep, that's where Hal Heidi got Hot Potato from. And again, it wouldn't be the first time that Hal Heidi did a riff off of a popular song. If you remember, Hal Heidi's Joker's Wild was basically a riff off of The Savers by Perret and Kingsley. In a much better version, because The Savers is not a good theme. Hey, some people who are aficionados of the Moog synthesizer would disagree with you. Well, that's their loss. But Hot Potato, for as short-lived as this was, this is still, I guess you could say, fondly remembered among the fandom to this day of game shows. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those shows that was either gone too soon or overstayed its welcome. Yeah. And in the end, this just became another thing on TV. But guys, do you want to play a game of non-eBay prices, right? No, I prefer misery and malcontent with my life. Of course I do. What did you find? Well, let's play the music first. Let's play the sexy sex music. Okay, guys, I've had this for a long time now, but I thought because of this episode, this would be the perfect subject to bring it up. I have had, for the last, I would say, maybe 15 years or so, this used copy of Wilt Chamberlain, A View From Above. Oh, is that what he's calling it now? Now, I got this used at a local library, okay? You were bidding on the price I paid for this book. Now, I will give a maximum bid, okay? The maximum bid is eight dollars so it is less than eight dollars so you cannot bid any higher than eight dollars this sounds like something out of bill cullen's prices right now that i think about it mike i will start the bidding with you it was a library book sale yeah you didn't pay more than two dollars for it so two dollars two dollars chico 375 you have both overbid. I knew I, was, figured, I knew I should have gone lower. I just knew it. I knew two dollars is the most you paid. I knew that. Mike, lower than two dollars. Let's go <laughs> a buck. Chico. Do it. Do it. A dollar one. I knew it. You have both overbid again. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, no lower than a dollar. Let's see how Chico plays this one. <laughs> 75 cents. Chico. One single Oh, you just given up on the whole affair. Penny. Okay. I paid a dime for this. Hey! <laughs> As we have established on this podcast, Craig hates money. But for a dime... This was the steal of the century. For a dime, that's not bad. Uh, You know what? You know what? You did good, Greg. 
You did good. Yeah, I can read about Wilt sleeping with the 20,000 women all I want. Oh, my God, really? Hey, Greg, I'm curious. Does that book list the names of every single one of those 20,000 women? I wish it did. Oh, that would be worth every single cent of that 10 cents. All of them. And I'd, I'd, buy, I'd, and I'd buy that book from you for 11 cents. You'd make a profit. <laughs> but, guys, I also got something for you guys before we close this out. Oh, no. It's time for It Was a Thing on TV Haiku Corner. Now, it's been a long time since we've done this. So let's play the music. Oh, we're going to make all the oldies tonight. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. It's been a long time since we played this music, but okay. Here we go. Are you ready for this this great poem that I've haiku? Sure. Sure. Alright. From Hot Potato. Bill, what's the Segway doing? It's at Wilt's Hotel. <sighs> Thanks, Johnny, for performing that haiku for me. I-, I-, I can't give snaps or claps or anything for that. I'm sorry. No. You get no snaps from me, good sir. None whatsoever. <laughs> well, before we... Who knew have... Wilt stole that segue from Bill? Oh, gee. Well, Hot Potato is a very and right production. <laughs> NBC, let's all be there. Stay tuned. Two and a half hours from now, Match Game at Hollywood Squares will be on the air. With me, Johnny Olson. And I'll be dressing up like Boy George. Oh, God. Johnny, look. I know you have a thing for cross-dressing, but just don't, okay? You stay out of this, you piss-ass son of a bitch. What Johnny Olson does in his free time is none of your damn business. Episode 328, submission number 399, E-R, that's E-slash-R. Oh, good, because I was thinking you were talking about that other E-R, because I'm wondering... No, no, not the other E-R. Oh. E-slash-R aired on the CBS television network from September 16th, 1984 to February 27th, 1985. For 22 episodes. Here's that sexy Lou Rawls theme music. Yeah. I've got a real emergency here.
1969 in Madison, Wisconsin, artistic director Stuart Gordon and his wife Carolyn Purdy Gordon founded the Organic Theater Company. Its first play was a production of Richard III, but it was beleaguered by harassment from local officials, causing the production to be moved to three different venues before closing. Two years after its founding, at the invitation of one Paul Sills, the theater company moved to Chicago, where Sills helped the theater find the home in the Holy Covenant Church, where they produced original adaptations of such fair as George Orwell's Animal Farm, Homer's Odyssey, and the David Mamet play Sexual Perversity in Chicago. That play, of course, was the basis of the 1986 feel-good film about last night. But another production that the Organic Theater Company did was a play by Zaid Farid, Richard Byer, Stuart Gordon, Gary Houston, Carolyn Purdy Gordon, Tom Tolles, Bruce Young, and Dr. Ronald Berman called ER, Emergency Room. It was basically a slice of life in an emergency room setting. Think ER, the 1994-95 drama, meets The Office, only with a laugh track. That play would form the basis of this show on CBS. Developed by two of the greatest comedy writers to ever live, Bernie Ornstein and Saul Turtletaub. They even managed to take two of the cast members from the original play and give them roles, their own roles, in this series. So, it looked like everything was lined up for it to succeed. But by the end of February, it was gone. So what happened? Well, before we answer that question... Let's talk about what this show is about. Much like the play, the setting is the fictional Clark Street Hospital, namely their emergency room, and the stories are centered upon the happenings in that ER and the lives of the doctors, nurses, and other medical staff who work there, including Dr. Howard Scheinfeld, a twice-divorced ear, nose, and throat specialist who moonlights at the hospital to keep up with his alimony payments. Among his colleagues, potential romantic interest Dr. Eve Sheridan, a gaggle of nurses, medics, and techs, and the occasional police officer. Hilarity ensues. Yeah, basically, hilarity ensues. Playing the role of Howard Scheinfeld is Elliot Gould, who is by now one of the most in-demand, one of the most legendary actors of stage, screen, and television, having been in... Oh, just about everything Ellie Gould's been in. He was in the films Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice and M.A.S.H. Not the TV series M.A.S.H., the film M.A.S.H. The movie M.A.S.H. And he was the original Trapper John in the movie M.A.S.H. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't on Trapper John MD, isn't that supposed to be a sequel to the movie and not the show? That is correct. Legally, Trapper John MD is a sequel 
to the movie MASH, not the TV show. And we should mention who else was in the movie MASH? John Shuck. Oh, Shuck. And true fact, he actually delivered the first uncensored F-bomb in a theatrical release. It, it was mentioned on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast when John Shuck was a guest. Greg, do you have something to add? I can take a good guess what that was. Go for it. Starfleet regulations, that's being outrageous. Oh, no. I thought you were going to say Starfleet regulations, that's outrageous. <laughs> The placement's very important there, Greg. It is true. The placement is very important. But yeah, he said the first F-bomb in a uh, theatrical release movie. Yeah. Maybe in any movie, but yeah. But of course, let's not forget, Elliot Gould was also Ross's dad on Friends. And by extension, Monica's dad on Friends. That's right! So... You know what that means since we mentioned Courtney Cox. Sing it, Chico. Courtney Cox, I love you. You're so hot on that show. Courtney Cox, I love you. Yeah. You're so hot on that show. But, oh, getting to the rest of the cast. Oh. Playing Nurse Joan Thor. Oh, God, Chico. This is another great name. Big name. Conchata Farrell. Oh, yeah. She's the charge nurse in the ER. She's friends with Howard and worries about her. She has a tough exterior, but a heart of gold. So I have to ask, is this typecasting? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, This has been, is this typecasting? By the way, her nephew, Mark Ace Colmar, is a medic and is hired to work in the ER as a tech. That nephew, Mark Ace Colmar, is played by George Clooney. Never heard of him. No. no oh, wait, no. hold on a second. Now it's coming back to me. Isn't he related to that guy from the Money Maze? George Clooney is Nick Clooney's son. Rosemary Clooney's aunt, Miguel Ferrer's cousin, Betty Clooney's aunt, and Tessa Ferrer's cousin. That's some family tree, huh? Yep. Playing the role of Eve Sheridan, another doctor in the ER, and Howard's on-again, off-again love interest, would be Mary McDonnell, who was actually on the other ER with George Clooney. Yeah, that's what I found out while I was searching Mary McDonnell. Because, of course, as we all know, Mary McDonnell's most notable role, of course, would be in the revived version of Battlestar Galactica in the 2000s, where she played President Laura Roslin on the revived Battlestar Galactica on sci-fi. Yep, and after that, she would play Captain, later Commander, Sharon Raider on 105 episodes of TNT's Major Crimes. If you are a big fan of Veronica Mars, she played in the reboot, so... Yeah. 
Oh, that's not the only person who was on Veronica Mars on this show. Another nurse in the ER, Julie Williams, was played by Lynn Moody. She was just one of those solid actors in the 70s and 80s who was in That's My Mama, Roots, Roots, The Next Generation, and Knots Landing. Her last role was as Dr. Twainman in Mrs. Washington Goes to Smith. Whatever that is. And fun fact about uh, Nurse Julie, her aunt and uncle, and we see this in the one-hour pilot that aired on CBS, are George and Louise Jefferson. What? (laughs) George and Louise Jefferson are the aunt and uncle of Nurse Julie. So by extension, this is in the All in the Family universe. And by extension of that, this is in the Tommy Westfall universe. Because George and Louise Jefferson were also in an episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and we're not going to go over that again. Because it's way too complex. But yeah, watch the... (laughs) I was going to talk about the time where Sherman Helmsley was on Family Matters. And he brought that his girlfriend, that who, who Carl recognized was a stripper at the Boom Boom Room. Oh no! <laughs> Not the Boom Boom Room. That's the return of the Boom Boom Room. Yay! And then, and then Carl tried to break it to him. He's like, "I know that. I was going to invite you and Harriet to the show when she was in." And I'm like. Why would Harriet Winslow be into this? What made Sherman Helmsley think that Harriet Winslow would be into going to a strip club? He doesn't know. Don't tell him he doesn't know. Her roommate, Julie Williams' roommate, Maria Amardo, is the Filipino-American receptionist in the ER, known for strict enforcement of the white line rule. Stay back of the white line. That's the rule. And she is played by one of the two actors who actually revives her role from the play to the series, and that would be Shuko Akune. She was actually the voice of Jinx on G.I. Joe the movie. You know, the one where Duke was supposed to die, but didn't. Yeah, but it also had Sergeant Slaughter in it. But it also had Sergeant Slaughter. I wish he was training Rambo Greg Gagne in that movie, but no. Uh, sorry. And she would be dating Officer Fred Burdock, who is played by another actor who's reprising his role for the play, Bruce Young. Young is best known for his role as Captain Simon Banks on the UPN science fiction police drama The Sentinel. But if you remember Hot Shots in 1991, he played Red Herring. And I'm the only one who remembers Hot Shots in 1991. Okay. No. I'm, I'm more of a Hot it. Shots Port Doug guy. Well, I remember it. I, I'm more familiar with Hot Shots Port Doug, but yeah. I'm surprised they didn't make a third movie in the Hot Shots entry. But anyway. Oh, oh yeah, especially later when. Charlie Sheen and John Cryer had two and a half men. Right. Anyway, yeah. uh, Officer Burdock is the beat cop in the area where Clark Street Hospital is located. 
marriage isn't in the cards with Maria due to Maria's fear of divorce. And rounding out the cast is Nurse Corey Smith, played by Corinne Borer, who we're also going to talk about next year. She's a pediatric nurse who comes to help when the ER gets too busy. She's in love with Howard, who only sees her as a colleague due to his being burned by two divorces. By the way, Corinne Borer, she was Winnie Goodwin in Free Spirit, which we will talk about sometime next year. But she was Veronica Mars' mother on Veronica Moore's. But not only that. She was in Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. With Michael Winslow, who we talked about in the last episode. That's right. I only bring this up because I like bringing up Michael Winslow. But, oh, there was a touching scene with her and Bobcat Goldfleet in Police Academy 4 where, oh, poor Zed, his Mickey Mouse watch died. Oh, um, I think I better be going. Mickey! He's dead! He killed him! Oh, I'm sure the Academy will pay for it. What about the sentimental value? This is like a family heirloom here. This is the last thing I ever stole before joining the Academy. What the hell is this? Cadets in heat? No, we were just like talking. Oh, we're just like a Tonka somewhere else. But that is your regular and semi-regular cast, and we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of everybody who's been in the ER. I mean, this was basically Barney Miller in the medical field. Unfortunately, it did not last as long as Barney Miller did. Sorry, it just didn't. So let's go over these episodes, shall we? We start, as we always do, with The Pilot. Part 1. Dr. Howard Scheinfield is the charismatic head physician at the Clark Street Emergency Room in Chicago. Having recently finalized his second divorce, Dr. Scheinfield is more than willing to pull a 48-hour shift instead of cooling his heels at home. The Clark Street staff welcomes their new no-nonsense boss, Dr. E. Sheridan. Her strict policy changes clash with Dr. Scheinfeld's laid-back style, and the two must learn to work together peaceably... Meanwhile, George Jefferson himself visits the hospital to see his niece nurse, Julie Williams. Here's the thing I don't get. George Jefferson, if I'm not mistaken, lives in New York City, yeah? Yes. Maybe he's on vacation. Okay, that makes sense. I mean... If it would make sense if he was on vacation in Chicago. And one of the names in this episode is somebody that we've talked quite fondly about in the past, playing Dr. Thomas Esquivel, Luis Avalos. Oh, yeah. Talked about him in Condo, but we're also going to talk about him next year because he was on I Had Three Wives. Spoiler, Victor Garber had three wives. Oh, and by no means is Luis Avalos the only name among the guests in this episode. This episode has a lot of guests. Uh, I'm just taking a look at IMDb. Would you say there's about 20 names that are guests on this episode? Yeah, just about. Oh, it had all all the guest stars. 
Well, th- there's only a couple of names I- I'm picking out here uh, who-, who are people we've talked about in the past or uh, may talk about in the future. In this episode, playing Mrs. Summers is Beverly Sanders. Well, we're going to talk about her next year for sure because she was in Lots of Luck. Oh, yeah, Lots of Luck. And among shows that we've talked uh, about her on, she was on an episode of, and this is just a few weeks old, the McLean Stevenson show. Yes. Uh-huh. Man, that was horrible. Oh, but yes. Oh, by the way, we didn't even mention that uh, the role of Eve Sheridan was actually played by a different actress in the pilot. It was played by Marcia Strasman. Oh. Emily Cotter. Yeah. Mrs. Zelensky from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So I guess she would count as a guest star of sorts. And then you have part two of the pilot where Dr. Sheridan tries to save a patient from himself when he leaves the hospital despite having chest pains. The arrival of a stabbing victim shakes up the ER and Dr. Scheinfeld believes their John Doe is a lost cause. In a race against the clock, Dr. Sheridan desperately tries to save their patient in time for the surgical team to arrive. So, in this pilot, you see that there's going to be a lot of laughs, but at the same time, there's going to be a lot of gravitas as well. I mean, anything that happens in this ER, you're going to see happen in an ER. I know this from personal experience, having worked with uh, ER staff in my... uh, line of profession. Episode 3, The Sister. Dr. Sheridan's sister Karen is in town to help decide if their father should be put in a nursing home. Howard tries his hardest to put the moves on Karen, but Eve warns him to stay away. Meanwhile, an unconscious young boy is brought into the ER, and the staff suspects child abuse. Couple of big names in this episode, playing... Karen Sheridan is Anne Shadeen, of course, the mother on Elf. And playing the role of the boyfriend is Dennis Franz. He would have been on Hill Street Blues at this time, wouldn't he? He would be Bunce. Yes, Bunce. Who can forget Bunce? And of course, starting from this episode forward... Mary McDonald plays the role of Dr. Sheridan. So, Mary McDonald and Anne Shadeen as sisters. Episode 4, My Way. Medical and moral ethics come into question when a cancer patient in severe pain asks Dr. Scheinfeld to let him die. Eve discovers that a patient is transgender and Nurse Thor's marital troubles Reach a breaking point. We do have one name in this episode playing Evo, a name we've mentioned quite a bit here, maybe making a case for the Hall of Fame. Henry Pollock II. Oh, yes, Henry Pollock II. Of course, we talked about him on When Things Were Rotten. And you know, where else have we seen him? We've seen him plenty of places. Webster, obviously. Eventual cover double talk. Eventual. We have to talk about that piece of you know what. Hey, 
It was a clever game. It was a piece of junk. I liked it. Playing the role of Canon Eddie Kostalski, Harvey Vernon. We talked about him before. He played Deputy DeWitt on Carter Country. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Episode 5, Son of Scheinfeld. Dr. Sheridan is put in an awkward position when the hospital administrator tells her to fire Howard in order to cut costs. Howard's son, David, turns up in the emergency room with blue hair and a friend unconscious from a drug overdose. While handling a nasty motorcycle accident involving a teen boy, Howard reevaluates his relationship with his wayward son. But playing the role of David, okay? Jonathan Silverman. Didn't he and spend he... the weekend at Bernie's? Oh, did he? Did he indeed? Him and Andrew McCarthy, that was the best weekend of their lives. Until weekend at Bernie's too. Oh, until weekend at Bernie's too, where somehow some voodoo guys like cast the wrong spell and now Birdie can come to life whenever music is playing. <laughs> and he just dances. <laughs> what a great movie Weekend at Birdie's 2 was. <laughs> they say a sequel can't top the original. Well, you know what? I show him Weekend at Birdie's 2. Hey, a couple more names in this episode. Playing an ambulance driver is Jeff Doucette. We have talked about him in the past because he was on... After MASH and Domestic Life. So 1984 is a busy year for him. Oh, yeah. But hold on, Mike. Say you, it because I, I think I know what you're going to go for. You know, we played Beth in this episode. I think I do. Janet Carroll. And we talked about Janet Carroll back in Double Dare 85. But also, Mike, she was Gary. Unmarried with children. She owned Gary's shoes. Yes, she did. And that wasn't even the name I was going to mention. Oh? Oh, yeah. Playing Mrs. Stein in this episode? Florence Halep? She was the second bailiff on Night Court besides Bull. Oh, she replaced the Selma. Yes, yeah, she replaced Selma Diamond. But then when she passed, she got replaced by Marsha Warfield. Oh, so she was the second bailiff who died. Yeah, was the second bailiff who died, yes. It's one of those cases of reality writes the script, because I remember that very special episode where Bull was dealing with uh, working with Marshall Warfield's character, but in the back of his mind, he's still thinking about Salba and Florence. Yeah. That mm. was a very special episode. How could you and, and, cover and, it, Dash? And actually, last night... I was watching a little bit of Buzzer because, you know, who doesn't? And she was on a week of Super Password in 1986, maybe about six months before she died. She was on with Richard Mall. Oh, that's terrific. You had both bailiffs on, and she actually won a big jackpot with somebody last night. I think it was nice. like $25,000. Oh, that's great. Good password player, yes. Great password player. What's this good crap? 
episode six, Save the Last Dance for Me. Dr. Scheinfeld's second ex-wife, Philip, tries to make amends when she suspects she is pregnant. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Eve struggles with personal problems of her own when her devotion to the job gets in the way of an important dinner date with her boyfriend, Robert. Boyfriend Robert, played by Don Galloway, with I want to say we talked about him before. Well, if we haven't, we're going to, because he hosted the Guinness game. Oh, yep, we did. He was in the pilot for Auto Man. Not the only name in this episode, though. Got a couple nope. other big names. Not even close. Playing Randy Beal in this episode is David Faustino. You just talked about uh, Janet Carroll and Married with Children, Greg, as Gary? Oh, yeah. David Faustino was Bud Bundy. Oh, no, duh. But hey, Mike, this is the second reference to I Had Three Wives because he was Victor Garber's son on I Had Three Wives. We're not even done with the names. We're not even done. Oh, my gosh. All right. We're not not even done. Uh, Oh, no, we're not even done. Chico? Uh Playing a character named Mr. Downey. One of the patron saints of this podcast are making his case for Hall of Fame, Stanley Brock. A.K.A. Uncle Harvey from UHF. Oh yeah, we talked about him in uh, freaking uh, What's Alan what? Watching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hey, how about one more name, as if we haven't had enough in this episode. Playing Richard the Orderly, William G. Schilling. He was the principal on Head of the Class. That's right, he was on the original Head of the Class. Playing the role of Phyllis, the second ex-wife, would be Patch McKenzie, who is a notable actress and producer who was fairly active from the 70s up until 2008 when she did something called Man in the Mirror. And playing Mr. Beale is Michael Cutt, who was actually the father on California Dreams. At least during the first season. When, you know, the kids had parents and whatnot. Episode 7. Say it ain't so. Eve feels personally responsible when a patient unexpectedly dies after she promised his family that he would survive. Dr. Scheinfield contemplates what it might be like to become a father again as he waits for his ex-wife Phyllis to give him the results of her pregnancy test. Uh-oh. Patch McKenzie returns as Phyllis, of course. But, guys, a couple of names here. Uh, playing Mrs. Pavlik, Erica Yeun, who we talked about on the famous Teddy Z episode. That's right. Maybe making a case for the Hall of Fame. Oh, you want to talk about a case for the Hall of Fame? Well, no, before you make that case, we really talked about her not that long ago because she was on two episodes of Fish. Yes, Fish. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay, you want to talk about a Hall of Fame case? We were just talking about Weekends at Bernie's, Greg. Oh, wait! I know where this is going. Say it! Play the role of Frank is Bernie himself, Terry Kaiser. Yes! Terry Kaiser! 
who was also in the famous Teddy C. We're working through everything. We're working through every show we've covered on this podcast. Playing a character named Michael Alexander is Bruce Solomon, who was in future entry A Year in the Life. And I can't believe this is not on the list, and I don't see where it should be, but he played Sergeant Foley on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Well, I don't think we're going to do Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, but, I mean, America Tonight, Fernwood Tonight, we'll definitely do. Oh, definitely. And uh, rounding out the names that we recognize, playing the role of Pasha, Troy Slayton. You remember him most as Jerry Steiner on Parker Lewis Can't Lose. I remember him from that, and as Michael Lacey on Cagney and Lacey, and as Amp on the Hyper Agent Gridman adaptation, Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, with Matthew Lawrence. Episode 8, Growing Pains. Rumor has it that Dr. Scheinfeld is planning to resign his job at the ER in order to accept a cushy position at a business firm. Dr. Sheridan is dismayed because she wants to hire Howard as their full-time specialist, even though she's required to interview other applicants. Meanwhile, the staff has their work cut out for them when a mentally ill patient attempts suicide and a young boy is brought in with a collapsed lung. Uh, Luis Avalos returns as Dr. Esquivel. And William G. Schilling returns as Richard the Orderly, and Jeff Doucette returns as a paramedic. But now we also have, as Mr. Hunter, Dennis Berkeley from Sanford and select episodes of King yeah. of the Hill. Yeah, we talked about him in Sanford, but also where people may best know him from, he was on, I believe, two of the last three episodes, the three part story. On Maud, when she ran for Congress and actually got uh, uh, was voted in, he played her aide. And then we would have a uh, playing Daniel Lucas, a guy by the name of Stephen Peterman, who is not much of an actor, but he would go on to be one of the executive producers of Murphy Brown. So pretty stacked lineup there. Episode nine, all's well that ends. Howard decides to sell his old practice, but has a difficult time finding the right person to trust with his former patients. The emergency room is on high alert, but the bomb squad is called in to help remove an exploding bullet from a woman's arm. We have actual playwright playing Mrs. Dobbs, Carolyn Purdy Gordon, and playing Dr. Klimaszewski, another actual playwright, Richard Fire. They like to work in everybody who wrote the play that this show is based on, it seems. Which I respect. And playing Mr. Dobbs is Sam Anderson, who is best known, or I should say will be best known, as Raymond Sackler in the upcoming made-for-TV miniseries Painkiller. With uh, Uzo Aduba from Orange is the New Black and Matthew Broderick from everything else. And playing a role as Cheryl is Amy Linker, who you would know as the lady who is not Sarah Jessica Parker in Square Pegs. Episode 10, 
episode 10, Only a Nurse. Julie tries to convince Nurse Thor not to quit her job after Dr. Sheridan refuses to allow the head nurse to make minor medical decisions. Howard ends up in over his head when Nurse Corey admits she's in love with him. Meanwhile, the staff suspects the sick toddler in the ER might be the victim of a kidnapping. One guest star in this episode, playing the role of Mr. Williams, is Bill Irwin, and he was in a bunch of movies and TV shows over the years. His most notable role was as Arthur Beale in the 1980 movie Somewhere in Time. He was also in previous entry Voyagers, but one notable role he played was he was in two episodes of Seinfeld in 1993 as the character of Sidney Fields in The Old Man and, of course, The Pilot, where he appeared reprising his role as Sidney Fields uncredited. Episode 11, Sentimental Journey. Dr. Scheinfeld starts a workout regimen after he begins dating a 23-year-old aerobics instructor, because those would be a dime a dozen in 1984. The staff can't help themselves from making fun of Howard for dating a woman so much younger than him. However, Eve can't help from flirting with a charismatic yet much older patient named Paolo when he admits his attraction to her. Tensions run high in the ER when Fred is injured while on duty and Thor finds a baby abandoned in the hospital lobby. Ooh, big name here. Really big name. You ready for this? Playing the role of Paolo Fuentes, the much older person who can't help but be smitten over Eve, Alejandro Rey, a.k.a. Carlos Ramirez from The Flying Nun. Oh, The Flying Nun with Sally Field. And of course, we talked about him in We've Got It Made. He played the guy that Mickey got married to in the two-parter, Mickey Gets Married. Oh, jeez, I forgot about that. How could you forget about... It's been two and a half years since we covered it. It's Terry freaking Copley, for Christ's sake. Yeah, she'll be one of the three wives on I Had Three Wives. <laughs> oh, jeez. We have one of the three wives at America's 80s ass. Can we get any more references to I Had Three Wives in this episode, please? We've got three thus far. We just need to find the third wife. That's all we need to do. That'll fill the bingo card, okay. Okay. Episode 12, Mr. Fix-It. Strange events plague the ER during a full moon. I I know this is a thing. I can tell you right now, this is a thing that happens. Dr. Scheinfeld's diagnosis of an injured famous basketball star could be the difference between winning or losing a big upcoming game. Initially, Howard's father, Morris, pays a visit, and Maria awaits a reunion with her own father, whom she hasn't seen since she was a baby. Playing the role of Donald Haynes, the basketball player who is about to be operated on, Kevin Peter Hall. We all remember him from Misfits of Science. But also, Harry from Harry and the Hendersons, and the Predator in Predator. And really, when you look at Kevin Peter Hall, yeah, obviously. Hard to miss him. Oh, speaking of misfits of science, 
we have another person from Misfits of Science on this episode, playing Marvin Brock, Max Wright. So we had Mrs. Tanner earlier, now we have Willie Tanner. Have yeah. Kate Tanner we have both the Tanner episode. parents. We yeah. have Kate Tanner in an early episode, and now we have Willie Tanner. Two more names in this episode, two oh. more big names. Okay. Uh, playing the role of Rudy would be Ron Masak, who we recently lost. And playing the role of an Englishman, a true Englishman, Christopher Hewitt. Oh, this isn't tight casting at all. Christopher Hewitt as an Englishman. This must have been right when he was doing like those ads for Commodore. Oh, that's right. Christopher Hewitt did ads for Commodore. I think those are what got him the role as Mr. Belvedere. I think. Don't quote me. Episode 13, A Cold Night in Chicago. Eve suspects an extremely sick little boy might have meningitis, but his family resists medical treatment because it is against their religion. This is a true moral and ethical quandary. Dr. Scheinfeld presses to treat him regardless, but Eve fears the hospital could be sued. On top of it all, Howard visits with an old army buddy whose life he saved in Vietnam, and Nurse Thor receives flowers from a secret admirer. Playing Arnie Popkin, Louis Arquette? Well, we also did talk about him in the past. Yep. Because he was on an episode of Get a Life. But also, hold on, guys. Isn't he on Hulk Hogan's Rockin' Wrestling? Yes, he was. He was Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Oh, Yes! And also, let's not forget, David is going to be a future WCW World Heavyweight Champion. (laughs) And he'll have the belt on an episode of Celebrity Family Feud. Oh, boy. Oh, Oh, and also, I think where we most recently talked about him, he was on an episode of 10 Speed and Brown Shoe. Oh, yes. We have actually somebody we talked about on this show and in a live broadcast. We talked about uh, Carl Steven, who played young Spock in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. But also, he was in Fluffy Dogs. He was in Fluffy Dogs. Well, remember, they're not dogs. They're they fluffies. In- they're fluffies. They are interdimensional travelers. They're not dogs, okay? They don't like it when you call them dogs. Don't call them dogs. He's a little boy who has meningitis and sadly no longer with us. Yes. And playing a couple of his relations, Peter Palmer, who also is no longer with us, but played Lil Abner in the movie Lil Abner. Oh, and his wife, Gail Parker, Kay Callen, Superman's mama. Yes. Another person we talked about not that long ago. It's time for a little break. We'll be back in a few minutes with the rest of the ER episode. Do 
Tuesday. There are two bears loose in the terminal. Yogi Bear, Boo Boo, and all their friends turn the town upside down with a Christmas celebration. Then, wow, she's beautiful. The Muppet Babies take off to protect the universe. We've got to save Princess Piggy. It's the Muppet Babies and a Yogi Bear Christmas Tuesday. CBS Sports Break, sponsored by Midas Muffer and Break Shops. Good evening. In the NFL today, the Bronco defense led Denver to the AFC West Championship with a 31-14 victory over Seattle. The Seahawks will meet the Raiders in the wildcard game next weekend. Now also today, the New Orleans Saints upset the New York Giants 10-3, and in key matchups tomorrow, St. Louis visits Washington with the NFC East title on the line. The Redskins, though, are assured of a playoff spot. The AFC Central crown is also up for grabs. Cincinnati must win against Buffalo and hope that Pittsburgh loses to the Raiders. Should the Steelers win, they would take the division. I'll have more after this. A free inspection at Midas will tell you if your brakes need fixing. More you can find out for yourself, which can cost more. In college basketball, Patrick Ewing scored 15 points, grabbed 15 rebounds, and was not hurt after that collision with the backboard. He led top-ranked Georgetown over number two DePaul by 20 points. For CBS Sports Break, I'm Brent Musburger. This is CBS. It's the season to give with style and save at Sears. Get in the gift-giving spirit with a luxurious fleece or pile robe, now just $22.99 in your choice of wrap or zipper styles. Or warm up the holidays with these great gifts at only $11.99 each. Choose from cozy cotton sweaters soft velour tops and colorful blouses. They're on everyone's wish list. So hurry and wrap up a beautiful Christmas. Monday on Scarecrow and Mrs. King, the enemy infiltrates the agency. I'm willing to be the bait. But they're out to eliminate Amanda. Then Allie and her ex-husband compete for Chip's affection. He couldn't just pick them up. He had to send in the clouds. Kate and Allie. And a new heart dick is blown over by an overzealous fan. They gotta be me. Monday. Episode 14. Both sides now. Remember we were talking about being afraid of being sued a couple of episodes ago. Howard's being sued for malpractice, but is doubtful about calling Dr. Sheridan as a character witness when she refuses to shade the truth a little, and her store's nephew is hired as the emergency room's new EMT. Of course, this would be the episode that would see Ace join the cast. And also in this episode, as Jack, John Shuck, Starfleet f regulations. That's outrageous. <laughs> but guys, playing a patient in this episode, that's his role. Patient. He's credited as Dan Barrows. But guys, we best know him as Beans Morocco. Oh, we haven't talked about Beans Morocco in ages. We haven't oh. talked about him since that episode of Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction, where Rip Taylor showed up. <laughs> I was waiting to talk more about Beans Morocco. Oh, I was going back even further. I forgot we talked about him there. We, we talked about him in Voyagers and the Powers of Matthew Starr. And now he's in ER. Yay. He's making his case for the hall. He's a legend. He is. Just because his name is Beans Morocco. One more name. We'll, we'll get off the Beans Morocco track here. Playing Laura in this episode is Candy Azara. 
We've talked about her plenty. Oh, yes. She was in 10 Speed and Brown Shoe. Oh, yes. She was in, oh, I, I don't want to say it. It's like calling uh, Beetlejuice, saying his name three times. She was in an episode of Turnabout. With John Shuck. Starfleet <laughs> regulations, that's outrageous. <laughs> Damn, I'm going to need that censor button. <laughs> she was also in an episode of O'Hara. Mm-hmm. So, Needless to say, we've talked about uh, Candy Azara quite a bit. Quite a bit. Our next episode, The Storm. A blizzard strands the staff at the hospital overnight. When Julie's replacement can't make it in, she refuses to work overtime and miss a date with her new boyfriend. Dr. Sheridan fires her for leaving the ER understaffed. Howard's daughter, Jenny, takes refuge at the hospital because she's upset that her mother is getting remarried. He agrees to think about letting Jenny move in with him. And playing the role of Jenny Scheinfeld... Somebody we've both seen and heard a lot from over the years, Pamela Adlon. Of course, she's been seen on Better Things, and she's been heard as the voice of Bobby Hill on King of the Hill. Bobby! Playing herself in this episode, MTV VJ Martha Quinn. Yeah, because Martha Quinn had to be on the show because Nina Blackwood was busy with Jason Bateman on It's Your Move. So what were Alan Hunter and Mark Goodman doing at this time? Just resting on their laurels, waiting for the phone to ring? Mark Goodman was waiting 10 years for Illinois Instant Riches, silly. And Alan Hunter was waiting... Alan Hunter was still at wait, wait, wait. Alan Hunter was still at MTV. He was busy yeah. until like the early nineties. So yeah, he was no. occupied. He's you know what? He is still occupied. He is one of the best DJs on eighties on eight. Thank you very much. Oh yes. Every time I listen to eighties on eight, he's on there, and it's like he's doing a fantastic job on eighties on eight. And as he always says, peace and progress. Episode sixteen. Enter romance. Howard's first wife, Sheila, meets with him and Jenny in order to make the final decision about where Jenny is going to live. The ER reluctantly welcomes an obnoxious new administrator named Howard Stickley. His frequently inappropriate comments and propositioning of female employees causes Dr. Sheraton to threaten him to report him? Threaten to report him? What? Uh, uh Uh-oh. 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 But guys... Playing Howard Stickley. Okay. Guys. Jason Alexander. The guy who was in the McDLT commercial? That's right, the guy who was in the McDLT commercial. Yep, he is known for the McDLT commercial and nothing else. Well, maybe Dunstan checks in, but that's it. Yeah, yeah. Hey, one more name, guys. This one's a biggie. Playing Sheila Seinfeld, the one and only Karen Black. Oh, yeah. Karen Black? Yes, Greg. That Karen Black from Airport 75. But we also talked about her in the 1978 Science Fiction Film Awards because she was the co-host with William Shatner. That would be a year... After her star turn, yes, it was a star turn in Capricorn 1. 
That's right, with OJ! And Elliot Gould! Yes, <laughs> Elliot Gould was in Capricorn 1! I forgot about that! What does it say about me that I remember OJ in Capricorn 1, but not Elliot Gould? Oh, and James Rowland was in Capricorn 1, too! And Sam Waterston? And Sam Waterston, yeah. And, and Telly Savalas? And David Doyle? And David Huddleston and Hal Holbrook? Wow. So, Peter, I just got everybody in this cast. Anybody says that the moon landing was fake, you have my permission to say, no, sir, you're thinking of Capricorn 1. They won't get it, but you'll get a laugh out of it. Episode 17. Brotherly Love. The staff relaxes at Houlihan's, a local hangout near the hospital. Howard is looking forward to catching up with his younger brother, Sam, but becomes jealous when Sam develops a romantic interest in Dr. Sheridan, who Ace asked on a date in the previous episode. After much teasing from the staff, Eve has to set the record straight with Howard. Julie and Maria struggle to get along now that they've become roommates in order to save money. Playing Pete the bartender. Charlie Brill. The guy who did your hair on the super train. Oh, yeah. And hung out with Mitzi McCall for some reason. I don't know why. I just don't know. Well, also, don't forget, he played the boss... The, the, not necessarily the police chief or the lieutenant, whoever it was, on Silk Stockings. <laughs> also in this episode, this is a different character than he played earlier, and really, given the name, it's a little racist, I think, at least in 2022 terms. Henry Pollock II played Dr. Ravi Raja. Yeah, there's nothing controversial about that, except where the we have a whole uh, whitewashing of a brown-based character. But aside from that, nothing controversial about that. Oh, and playing Kim in this episode, Felice Schachter. In one of her many, 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 many roles coming out of season one of The Facts of Life. Episode 18. I raise you. Forced to work on a weekend, Howard moves a Saturday night poker game into the ER lounge. That sounds familiar. Dr. Sheridan disproves, but relents when Howard promises to keep it quiet. Brad collapses during the game and finds out he has high blood pressure. Later, Howard hits the roof when Jenny tells him that My Place Ace asks her out. <laughs> But Jenny ends up crushed when she finds out that she mistook Ace's invitation to a concert for a date. I mean, I can understand that. It's George freaking Clooney. Charlie Brill's back on this episode, but he's not playing a bartender. He's actually playing a character named Charlie now. Oh. But there's one other name I want to mention. Playing Shelly in this episode is Lou Mulford. She was a model on Sale of the Century. Yep. Episode 19, Merry Wives of Scheinfeld, Part 1. Dr. Scheinfeld is featured in the newspapers when word gets around that he's dating a wealthy socialite named Bitsy Carmichael. 
when both of his ex-wives arrive at the hospital to speak with him. Oh boy. Howard has to juggle their complaints with a busy night in the emergency room. Painters work on fixing up the ER, which is a problem for Dr. Sheridan because she's allergic to paint. And Nurse Thor turns to a specialist because of a serious concern about her health. That concern ends up being, and I know this because it is written in Truth by Consensus Wikipedia, that she is diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is pretty serious stuff. Playing the role of Patrick is George DeCenzo, who I believe we talked about earlier in this podcast. He plays Hordak in He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special. Great. You know what that means? That gives me another excuse for the second straight week to mention the dildo copter. (laughs) Oh, gee. I'm going to stop you right there. Okay. Because he also plays Captain Lou in Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Oh, that's terrific. Second straight week we've mentioned Captain Lou. His grandpappy knows where the treasure is. That's right. Episode 20, Part 2. The entire staff offers their support to Nurse Thor after she receives frightening news about her health. Sheila and Phyllis, Howard's ex-wives, suspect that Dr. Sheridan and Howard might have feelings for each other, you think? Both doctors deny it, but that doesn't stop the staff from teasing him and two wounded firefighters and a young man high on LSD are brought in for care. And here we see the first instance of Bitsy Carmichael as played by Angel Tompkins. At least the first meaningful instance of Bitsy Carmichael. Episode 21. All tied up. Arguments erupt in the ER when Eve loses her life savings on a joint investment she made with Howard, and Maria becomes jealous that Fred asked Julie to attend a banquet with him. Everything gets put into perspective when two thieves hold the staff at gunpoint. Oh, we got a name here. Playing, I guess who I perceive as one of the two bank robbers? William Zabka. Second straight episode we mentioned William Zabka. And biggest heel face turn in all of cinema slash streaming television. Yeah. Well, what do you have to say for that, Audrey Griswold number two? God, I miss Jack. Indeed, Audrey. We all miss Jack. Well, there is a bigger name in this episode. Playing Mr. Halbrook? Richard Klein. Oh, yeah, Richard Klein. Yeah, uh, he and Jack go to the Regal Beagle. Yeah, but also, let us not forget, he was Chaz's dad in Second Chance 1987. Yep. I just wanted to have an excuse to mention Second Chance 1987. Any excuse to mention Second Chance in 1987. So, Greg, you had to get your Second Chance reference in? regarding Richard Klein? Well, I'm going to give you my Married with Children reference for Richard Klein. He played Flint Guccione on one episode of Married with Children, the episode where Griff and Al win tickets to the Olympics. Nice. Yeah, Flint Guccione, as you can guess, is a combination of Bob Guccione and Larry Flint. And yes, he was a, a adult magazine 
publisher. <laughs> and uh, some relation to him is uh, Jane Holbrook, played by Susan Krebs, who you remember, uh, if you're a big fan of Family Matters, as Mrs. Steuben. The drama teacher slash home ec teacher slash, well, she pretty much teaches everything. She's yeah, basically taking every teaching job to get rid of Steve Urkel. Yeah. Why? Why do they have to discriminate against Steve Urkel? Just cause because he's... he's Steve Urkel. Look, just because he's the smartest guy in the school and sure he gets into a lot of accidents doesn't mean you have to do that to him. Perhaps the smartest person in Chicago. Who knows? I got a question. Do you think Sherman Helmsley invited Steve Urkel to the <laughs> Boom Boom Room? Probably. <laughs> and the final episode, A Change in Policy. Dr. Scheinfeld starts seeing private patients while at the ER as a favor for a colleague. When Stickley finds out, he offers Howard an ultimatum. Falsify Stickley's personal health form or get fired. The news that her close friend Lois is pregnant intensifies Eve's desire to have a baby of her own. And Eve makes some serious decisions about the future, including her relationship with Howard. So it seems like this episode is tying up all the loose ends just in case it does not get renewed. There's two names in this episode. The first, playing Lois, is Anne Lockhart. We've talked about her plenty of times in the past. Yeah, uh, isn't that June's daughter? Well, well, June's daughter, but also she was on Battlestar Galactica. The original one. The original, yeah. And actually, I think we mentioned this in the past. She was uh, recently uh, not one of the main subjects, but one of the imposters on a recent episode of To Tell the Truth. Well, 2019, as, as recent as it gets, but but yes, she was on an episode of To Tell the Truth as one of the imposters. If you're planning on looking for it, the Weird Al Yankovic, Rob Riggle, Jesse Williams, Surrey Shepard episode. Oh, so I want to say season three or season four. Well, 2019, so whenever. Yeah. But one other name, not an actor, but playing himself in this episode is Ron Say. Yes! So, I talked about Steve Yeager in Hot Potato. Well, guess what? Ron Say was one of the co-MVPs of the 1981 World Series with Steve Yeager. But also, Mike, let's not forget the third MVP of that Dodgers 81 team in the World Series, Pedro Guerrero. (laughs) Never thought you'd get a Pedro Guerrero reference on this podcast. And why would there be? I never thought we'd get a Ron Say reference on this podcast. No! Hey, Pedro Guerrero was in Rookie of the Year! Yep. Hey, Greg, how about we cover all the Dodgers in future installments, okay? We'll talk about Tommy Lasorda when he's on the Hollywood Connection. And actually, this this one's going to happen in about a month. We're going to talk about Steve Sachs. Steve Sachs! But, Mike. Yeah? Let's not forget, also in a month, we'll be talking about the manager 
of the world champion Houston Astros, Dusty Baker. There is one more name in this episode. Playing the role of Bill Ford, Julius Carey. A.K.A. Shown Up, the Shogun of Harlem from The Last Dragon. Oh, that's right, The Last Dragon. Barry Gordy's best work. I know everyone will say this album from Motown or anything Stevie Wonder did or Diana Ross. No, it was The Last Dragon. Everyone knows this. I was also on three episodes of the new Leave it to Beaver as either Don St. Don or Don St. John, depending on what the episode is. The new Leave it to Beaver on TBS. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, Greg, just taking a look here. Uh, I don't think we're going to be talking about any more 1981 Dodgers besides the names we've mentioned. Aw. Oh, good. Yeah, we'll talk Dusty Baker. We'll talk Steve Sachs. And you know what? We'll also talk about all those unsolved murders that Steve Sachs was involved in in New York City. I'm just upset we're not going to talk about Steve Garvey. Oh, Steve Garvey had to be in something. Oh, come on. Yeah, Steve well, Garvey had to have been. Wait, if Steve Garvey wasn't on Just Ben, that is bullshit. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was. I want to say he was. Well, well, no. Um, I was hoping you're going to say Steve Garvey appearing on Paternity Court. <laughs> oh! <laughs> right after the very special Nick Cannon episode. No. <laughs> I will say, though, it is bullshit. Steve Garvey's not in the Hall of Fame. No, you make a very valid point there. He should be in the Hall of Fame. Quite. Oh, oh wait a second. Hold on. I pulled up Steve Garvey and I. <laughs> he, he has an IMDb. He was on Arliss. I know he's in one of the Sandlot movies. I know that. He was on Baywatch. Oh, of course he was on Baywatch. Oh, he was himself in an episode of George Lopez. Just shoot me. Oh. He actually had a number of of appearances on different shows. Himself on Drexel's class. I think I remember that episode, actually. Yeah, I do, too. I watched Drexel's class a lot as a kid. I loved that show. That's a... Wait, hold on. Hold on. Okay, he was also on an episode of Fantasy Island as himself. But, Greg, I found a reason to pull the Blu-ray out for this. He was in the Gong Show movie. Yeah! He was in the Gong Show movie. Now I gotta watch that and find out where he is. Oh, my gosh. I've gotta go back and watch that Wait. I hope he was dancing with Gene Gene the Dancing Machine. Oh, and also I will add uh, it does not appear he was on Just Men. Oh. He was on A Week of Tattletales in 1975, though. Okay. 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 We can work with this. Acceptable. All right. All right. All right. So that was the show. Uh, Nothing left to do except look at the schedule. It premiered as a one-hour special episode on Sunday, September 16th, right? Yeah, it was the two-part pilot, so it makes sense that it was an hour episode. Yeah, and it was up against two repeats of Hardcastle McCormick on ABC and Knight Rider on NBC. And it pulled double the audience. So CBS was looking at this and thinking to herself, you know what? We very may well have a hit. 
So it moved over to its regular night at 8 o'clock on Tuesdays. Oh, boy. Things took a turn quickly. Because it wasn't up against reruns of shows that are pretty much... It was up against Three's Company on ABC and the A-Team on NBC. Just for a brief while, and also we should add, it was the first half hour of those episodes. I'm actually looking at a schedule here, and Three's Company that week, and this point it's in reruns because uh, Three's Company ended in 84, so this may be like a repeat of the final episode. But yeah, it's the uh, first uh, half hour, the the 8 to 8.30 half hour. If I'm not mistaken, didn't they hold the last episode of Three's Company to air into Three's A Crowd? Potentially, and that's what it looks like in future weeks. Because I'm looking at uh, the schedule from September 25th. So this would have been the second episode. And it makes sense you saying Three's Company uh, saved its uh, finale till the end of the run, not airing it uh, before summer reruns. Because that following week, ER at 8.30 goes up against Three's a Crowd and the second half hour of a two-hour A-team. Well, it's sort of ew for ABC and CBS from 8 to 9 that night on Tuesdays because ER was after Aftermath. But then Three's a Crowd, what was on before that? Foul-ups, bleeps, and blunders with Don Rickles. The ABC Wish version of Bloopers and Practical Jokes. Yeah, this is like NBC's night. Uh, A-Team for two hours, then Remington Steel. ABC, Foul-ups, bleeps, and blunders. Three's a Crowd, Paper Dolls, and Jesse. And uh, CBS, you had Aftermath and ER. Then you had a two-hour... I don't know if it's a movie or a miniseries. It says Mistral's Daughter Part 2. It doesn't say a movie, so that might have been like a miniseries or something. I'm guessing it was a miniseries. I'm busy trying to see if Paper Dolls is actually on the list. Pretty sure it is. Pretty sure it is. And actually, that does make sense. Have a miniseries to start the fall season. Paper Dolls is 564. Okay. And then the next week, it's up against Three's a Crowd and more the A-Team. It didn't do any better, but it also didn't do any worse. Well, if you move a little further uh, in time, I'm looking at November 7th of 84 now. It's now on Wednesday nights. doesn't get much better. So at this point, they're pretty much trying to uh, stop the bleeding. If I could use the parlance of my profession. Well, unfortunately, there's not enough stick to pencils to stop the bleeding because it's not much better. Now, in November of 1984, after MASH is gone, now from 8 to 8.30 is Charles in Charge. First season, so that means Jamie Widows. Nice. But it's competition. The second half hour of The Fall Guy on ABC... And the second half hour of Highway to Heaven. 
it just got worse. And it appears that was where it stayed for the rest of the run because looking at late February of 85, Charleston Charge at 8, ER at 8.30, and is still going up against Fall Guy and Highway to Heaven. It wasn't a bad show. It just had bad luck wherever it went. I mean, admittedly, you know, threes a crowd was no big thing. But if it went up directly against the final threes company, yikes. And the thing of it is, wherever it went, it was very competitive. So it might have been one of those cases of CBS looking at the schedule and saying, we got to put such and such a show somewhere. What about Wednesdays at 8? We can get rid of Charles in Charge at ER. Well, it did have a little bit of a life after CBS. Because I remember seeing it in reruns on Lifetime. Not that it would have gotten a lot of mileage because it was just 22 shows. But still, there was life after CBS. Yeah. And it wasn't like it was a bad show. It was a very well-written, well-produced show. Just had absolutely no luck against the schedule. And like you said, reruns aired on Lifetime. You're not going to believe this. From 1988 to 1992. They got a lot of mileage out of those reruns. Yeah. But that was the last that we've seen of E slash R. It was never released commercially on home video. It cannot be streamed. The only way you're going to see a couple of episodes at most is on YouTube. All right. So E slash R, 1984. Well, before George Clooney was on the other ER... He was on this thing on TV. Oh, by the way, guys, this will not be the last time we'll talk about Ellie Gould on this podcast because there's a certain entry next year that we're going to be saving that also has Ellie Gould that came after this show that aired on CBS. And let's just say... It's time because one of the actors from this show is going to be on a certain show on Disney Plus next year. Something about a god of mischief. Do you know where I'm going, Chico? I do know where you're going, Greg. Yes. Also, no time for love, Dr. Jones. Ah. Get it? I got it. See, Chico... Saw where I'm going with that. I am picking up what you are putting down. But anywho, you can find this episode and all of our previous episodes, live watches, mini-sodes, and other such fun over at It Was a Thing on TV. And also, don't forget to follow us on all social media, including our new Hive social account at It Was a Thing on TV. Just go to the Apple App Store, download Hive Social, or you can go to hivesocial.app and download it there, and look for It Was a Thing on TV. We are right there. 
Is there an app on the Google Play Store for Hive yet, or no? It's still in beta, the Google. Oh, well. Yep. Sorry, Android users. You're just going to have to wait a bit. But we're working on it. And also, if you are on Facebook, it's It Was a Thing on TV podcast. We cannot stress that enough. And if you are on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you can stay up to date on all of our future entries, including the two we have for next week, which is our tradition of choosing a show that aired out of a Super Bowl and another show that, and now I'm quoting, is going to be around for a long time. A long time? Well, gee, I wonder who said it. Shadow, can you tell us who said it? Now, wait a second. The actual quote is, it's going to be here for a very long time. Not it's going to be around for a very long time. Okay. Isn't that right, John Davidson? If you're watching us for the first time, maybe you don't know, this is our very first show. But we plan to be here for a very long time. Of course, who is that, Shadow? You're going to get so much mileage out of that clip in the next week or so, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. And also, we're kicking off the holidays with a very special live watch. That's right. Because what makes the season so magical, guys? The Hulkster. Brother. Brother. I hope at the end of the live show, he gives all the kids around the world gift cards to Pasta Mania. Well, we shall see all of that in the coming week or so right here it was a thing on TV. Thank you ever so much for listening. Please be kind to each other, and we will see you for the next one. Rawr! Rawr!